Is the specimen ready for cleaning? Wine the frog! The Incomparable Number 212 September 2014 Welcome back to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We are uh, picking up our uh, our continuing coverage of uh, classic animated movies, and at some point, I decided we probably could just walk right through the Pixar canon as we're doing, sort of with the the Miyazaki canon. And I decided to start at the beginning. We've done some episodes since uh, Pixar movies have been released since we've been on the air, but we haven't gone back to the classics yet. Uh, we did a Pixar episode, but I wanted to take these films apart one by one. So we're going to be talking about Toy Story, and I'd like to introduce. Uh, the original Toy Story, just the first movie, because this is not an eight-hour-long podcast. It's only like a five-hour-long podcast. Let me introduce the people who are going to be talking about uh, Pixar's first feature film with me tonight. David Lore is here, as almost always. Hello. <laughs> Howdy, partner. It's good to have you here. Um, Steve Lutz is here. Hi, Steve. Hello, Jason. How are you this evening? I am doing just fine. That's magnificent. Uh, Andy Anatko joins us as well. Hi, Andy. I'm going to need a minute here. I've got a snake in my boot. John Syracuse is also here. Hi, John. Wind the frog, Jason. <laughs> Wind the frog. Oh, boy. There we go. <laughs> and, of course, you know him, you love him, you can't live without him. It is um, Mr. Merlin Mann. Hi, Merlin. Hi, Jason. Good to have you here. Thank you. I don't know the part of the movie where they say, hi, Jason, but reference acknowledged. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, howdy, howdy, howdy. <laughs> All right. There you go. Thanks. Well, are we doing quotes? No, no, because I didn't blew, get one. We blew how about, right. How about this one? It's too short. We need more monkeys. We need more monkeys. <laughs> There's no more in the barrel. All right, uh, Toy Story. Uh, where to begin with this? It is the first real animated CGI, you know, 3D animated feature film, and now all of the animated films are like this. And going back and viewing this movie. Um, uh, last night, which I did because I like to be prepared, sort of prepared for the podcast. I was actually impressed at the state of animation in in 1995. It doesn't feel as dated as I thought it would. It, I, I think you're absolutely right. The only thing that's off-putting is you when you see CGI graphics of that kind, you almost feel a game controller in your hands. And yet, of course, this was absolutely cutting edge at the time. That's the only thing that, that disconnects me from it. I would say everything here is good, but the people are still very much in the uncanny valley and and are are somewhat horrifying. Oh yeah, not yes. uh, not baby in tin toy level horrifying, but they're still <laughs> a little disturbing. Which I mean, there's there's a good reason why almost all of the people are seen at leg level or from several miles away, or we get lots of POV shots of yeah. Andy running through the house. There's some zombie arms on them too. They're all kind of stiff, and we we get lots of close ups of Sid because he's supposed to look awful, but <laughs> everybody else. <laughs> The humans don't look terrible. They look cartoonish, and they don't look yeah. realistic, but a lot of the things look like that. Well, the things that they couldn't do, though, are very clear. Like, cloth, forget it. They just, like, their clothing is like these... Andy's stiff, bed is very well made. Stiff cylinders. No, <laughs> yeah. the, the bedding is not, like, just the clothes on the people. Like, their shirts and their shorts are just, like, cylinders of hard plastic, like, it's, with weird seams, and they just can't do that. Particle effects, they didn't really... Like, when the dump truck comes up in the sandbox, that is the worst effect in this entire movie. I was shocked when it came out. I'm like, oh! Like, <laughs> the poor person who had to do that shot. Like, they just didn't... Either they didn't have time or didn't have technology or both to do that. Uh, but I'm what I'm surprised at looking at this movie is how good... Like, they knew they could do certain things well. And how good those things look. Like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, 
Woody's face, uh, Buzz Lightyear's helmet, like all the things that you can, I can do shiny, completely hard, completely rigid surfaces really mm-hmm. well with Render Man. Uh, and those, those still look good. And they look, they look good in a way that's timeless. The other parts don't look good in a way that's timeless, which is kind of a shame. But hey, this is the very, very, very first one. Yeah. I like to imagine yeah. traditional cell animators seeing this movie for the very first first time and encountering certain scenes like that that early POV shot in the credits where Andy's spinning around in his recliner or that uh, the overhead shot in Sid's room where he bumps the light bulb and the shadows are swinging back and forth perfectly. I can just see cell animators watching that and their heads just bursting into flames. They did the sight gag with the present, like where it's foreshortened, like they can yeah. perfectly foreshorten it because like they can they control everything like every they control the camera, they control the person's hand. Like if you try to do that in live action, it's more difficult to pull off. But because the computer graphics give that illusion, I mean, they might have even cheated it. They could have made I don't think they cheated it, but they could have like that kind of control for that sight gag you don't have in live action. And, and the, I mean, you know, I guess the classic story with Toy Story is that they partly chose it because this is the stuff, as you say, that they could make look good. There's a lot of stuff in this, like having watched a lot of animation in the last three years and returning this to this for the first time in a while, uh, where I was actually, I was really surprised how creepy some stuff looked. And then I was really surprised how amazing, like Rex looks as good as he does in Toy Story 3. I mean, I think he looks, I think Rex is probably the most successful uh, character in terms of like looking like a thing. And uh, yeah, but I mean, a lot of the stuff, you know, the story, I can look past all of this. I mean, the weird things like there's a kind of uniform reflection to anything that's reflective where things seem to be kind of floating above it in a weird way. But I can look past all of that because of the story. I mean, including Andy's face. And if you if you know something yes. about the backstory of this movie, one of the interesting things is that this was a, this was very much a collaboration between Pixar and Disney in the sense that Pixar really wanted to make a feature film and Disney kind of went along and Disney was riding high in terms of animation at this point. So there was some creative collaboration early on where the Pixar guys were not super um, knowledgeable about like feature film scripts and things like that. And it sounds like the way and John, you've read everything that's ever been published about Pixar. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds to me like they. They ended up building, uh, through many iterations, a pretty solid story structure. But there was a moment when the when the film got kind of shut down, and they were having lots of issues. And I was shocked to see in the op- in the credits that Joss Whedon is actually listed first in the screenplay credit. I guess he's the only he's the most famous screenwriter out of that group. We know all the other names in the group now, but then we didn't know any. But of those he names, he, right? he so hadn't he done building. almost anything at that point either. He, he punched it up. But right. but what he did was apparently, according to what I read, he took a very good structure and he tried to flesh out some of the dialogue and some of the situations and make it into a good sort of like screenplay where like the story was actually really good, but that he wanted a bunch more character moments and f- some funnier dialogue and Wine the Frog famously is his and I think Rex is his creation. The fact that there are the misfit toys at the end that save the day was something he came up with. And there are other examples like that, but it's it's really interesting that this is Pixar um, being so good now at uh, computer animation that they could make a feature film, which had never been done before, but still with the training wheels on and they had good story ideas, but they were still not like able to go and do it all themselves. And and so they had all this feedback from Disney, which was really skeptical, and they brought in screenwriters to help them. And it's just really interesting because then they went on to be so confident. But here, you know, they did call in people like Joss Whedon, who was really well known in the business at that point of, of being a rewrite man and having him punch this this movie up because they were kind of at sea with the screenplay. Well, they also, Pixar got bullied into uh, the mean Woody angle, 
Like, right, right. That was a note they got. It was like, uh, you know, they just kept kept tweaking it and tweaking it to try to satisfy the notes. And the, the mean Woody, uh, I was like, at, this time I was looking for it. And if you look for it, you can see glimpses of the mean Woody at the beginning of this movie. Like the idea oh, yeah. was that he was he yeah, was going to yeah. be a super big jerk the whole time, but then it made him not sympathetic. Yeah, there's one scene where where he's super scary, right? Well, like, and the, the thing I noticed this time around was. Uh, what was it? When the they were trying, the batteries came out of the intercom when they're trying to find out what the present is, and he goes down there to say, "Oh, let me do it," because he's trying to tell them positive, negative, whatever. He pushes the other toy out of the way, like hits the other toy, makes it move out of the way to do the batteries. That and like the when he the expression on his face when he's telling B, "Oh, go ahead, Buzz, fly," like they make him very, very mean. Now, I don't know if that's my imagination saying that's leftover, or that they had already animated those scenes, and it's like due to time constraints. Uh, we couldn't have that, and we'll fix it by essentially making him more sympathetic later in the movie and taking out stuff. But the mean Woody is is on display in in the early parts of Toy Story One. Mm-hmm. I was actually surprised watching this back by how many of these toys are actually kind of a holes. I mean, they turn on Woody <laughs> at turn, the drop of a oh hat. Oh my god! I have a note later on that's like they they throw Woody. I mean, Woody is perceived to have basically chucked Buzz out a window to his right. death. And, but, but but he's been there since kindergarten, right? So yeah, it's been a few years he's that he's the been king, there. He's the de facto king. leader. Obviously, people don't like the leadership of Woody because they yeah. they turn on him. On a dime, everybody except like Bo Peep turns on him. And on a Slinky, dime. but but Slinky's Slinky easily yeah. fungible. But yeah, they did jump straight to the lynching too. It's not just let's have a let's have a trial and make him explain himself. The, immediately, etch a sketch is drawing a gallows. Yeah, and, well, he's a Western yeah. sheriff. You got to be, you know. <laughs> see, that was a good gag. Like that's that's the balance they have to do with tone. Is like. Is it appropriate in a kid's movie for the etch scratch to draw a, a noose? Like, it's it's a funny joke. And you, like, I don't think any less of, like, Mr. Potato Head and the etch sketch because, like, the stakes are not, you know, I, I don't know. Somehow it works for me. Like, that's the line they're trying to walk. And in light of Toy Story 2 and 3, maybe it seems severe. But every time I watch it, I, I'm willing to accept that that tone is a is appropriate for the movie, both for a kid's movie and for this movie. The mean Woody is more had to do with in the animations than in the dialogue or anything else. Well, they, they, they need Woody. They need Woody for his leadership, but they, and you know, he gets so exasperated with everybody because he's in a position of some security, but they, they kind of need him to provide that guidance and leadership. But at the same time, they want what Woody has. And, and then of course the turnaround is that then Woody then loses that to somebody else. And that's when it gets interesting. Well, and, and it, you know, the whole, the idea of the noose and everything, and, and serious things like that works for me just because when when you're that young, you go to extremes when you're playing, right? You know, it's it's bang, bang, you're dead, done, right? And, and you know, over the course of all the Toy Story movies, the toys kind of mature too, which is interesting to me. So, so going back and seeing things like the noose, it's like, yeah, all right, I, I can see that. You know, I've watched that with, with mine. They, they, they're much more gentle now that they're older Whereas when they were young, it was just sort of like, you know, smash the trains together. Oh, Thomas, the tank engine is dead. Okay. But it's it's almost like they couldn't, I, there's, there's, you know, what we know now, it's so easy for us to look back. And it's it's incredible to think about the protean effort that they went through and the pushback that they got and the budget cuts and the production stoppage, all this stuff, that they were able to put out something this good. But, I mean, this was completely new territory. And it's funny, the, the one thing I, I feel like I really noticed this time, stuff that's just like a slight gag. There would be a slight gag in a Chuck Jones cartoon, something like during Strange Things when, you know, when um, Andy's playing and Buzz shoots Woody and he slaps him over and like knocks him over. What, what, we, what they couldn't know 
that we know today is those characters can feel incredibly real to us. Now we feel that violence because now we've seen, now we've grown with those characters and stuff. But at the same time, I, I think at the time it was a, it was a cartoon, right? And it was an extremely well done cartoon. But I don't think they could have known how far that process would come with great storytelling and great animation to make us get to the point where like you really feel like that guy's petting a dragon in this movie. You know what I mean? Where those relationships really do seem real and, and way beyond like Wile E. Coyote. I think yeah. that what they were getting at was the, the violence of young boys play, which I think is accurately represented by doing laser gun, laser gun, and then he smacks Woody to the side because that's <laughs> that's how kids play. And like I accepted that without the context of Toy Story 2 and 3, just seeing Toy Story 1, you accept that because it's like, all right, when the toys are being played with, they act like toys and they get the treatment of toys. And you don't get the impression that Woody is hurt by being smacked out of the way. You get the impression that he wants to participate in the imaginative play of this boy, and that's just mm. part of it. Like in in light of the in light of the subsequent movies, they tone they they tone that down. Though. Things things have come around so much uh, that by the third movie that in fact they're living in fear of the preschoolers because the preschoolers are treating them basically like Andy treated Woody in the first movie. So. They're like old retired yeah, toys. True. Then they they they've grown up and have not been. Been beaten to death anymore. Well, they, they say the same ah, gag in this movie, like ages three and up. Says right in my box because yep. he doesn't <laughs> want to be played with by the younger toy. But like, you know, the um actually that that's I've got my notes here in chronological order. But that that brings up something that is right at the beginning of the movie that I noticed is the first time we see the toys we see them in the context of being toys we see Andy playing with them he's got his whole fantasy adventure with Woody as the sheriff and and, and Mr. Potato Head as the as the the one-eyed Bart or whatever he is where he pops <laughs> the eye off and, and so I think that's really a great choice that that the first time we see these characters they are in the context of being toys um and 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 he plays with them we see lots of shots. I noticed lots of shots where it's just his arm coming in, right? Let's not animate the kid as much as we can. <laughs> and then he says, see you later, Woody. He leaves. And that's the moment when they when they come alive. And I, I think that's a really interesting choice. Like, look, we need to establish these toys as being toys that are played with their, you know, this is their job, essentially. They, they're not like magical creatures that live in this boy's room. They're toys who come alive when he's not around. Right. Well, and it, it feels like they do that to sort of you know, the, you get used to the toys that you recognize, like Potato Head and and all that. But but it sort of eases you into going, oh, this is Woody, and he's also a toy in this universe, and they all know him too. Mm -hmm. He's famous, and you don't know him, but you're going to know him. That opening sequence reminds me of like uh, watching that again. I was uh, impressed all over again because computer animation, even uh, uh, Pixar's own computer animation, had a certain like sort of camera work style where it was a lot of static shots even things of you know like uh even the little the little what do you call it? the little light uh what's it called the um, uh, lumo junior luxo 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 yeah whatever the short that he was in chasing the ball around like it's a lot of like the cameras pulled back it's kind of a wide shot you see what's going on or whatever uh, the beginning of toy story is cinematic the camera moves mm. there are close-ups there are lots of pans oh, yeah. like it's it's active it is it is like it is like a real lot, like, instead of like, oh, here is, I'm going to show you a rendered cube and the camera's going to be entirely stationary the whole time and maybe a light will move. Like, it immediately d dissuades you of any notion this is going to look like demos from SIGGRAPH, right? It's going, this is going to be a movie. <laughs> and that opening sequence of the playing is really tight. Like, it's cut together quickly. Yeah. It's fun. It's interesting. The, the camera moves. Like, it is a great way to pull people into this movie. 
like if if there was any fear of like oh will people go to watch because like this is, was my big thing with toy story it's like a computer animated movie i was so excited it exists but like will people go to watch it you ring your fingers you ring your hands like oh i don't know if like if they'll just think it's kind of too you know within 30 seconds the audience has forgotten the computers have anything to do with this movie because it is familiar to them and i think it's done in a way like a lot of the shots they did the reason they look so amazing is because they have these sort of the 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 truth the visual truthfulness of live action but with the sort of visual style of animation and that if you wouldn't do all these dramatic camera moves in in cell animation because it's very difficult to do all those perspective changes correctly and have to deal with all the different planes of motion and not make it look like things sliding over each other it's really difficult to do you could do it in live action fine this is a weird combination of both of them that is like comforting instead of being looking alien to both i feel like it's comfort from two different levels comfort from the cartoon world where you accept like the colors and the textures and everything and comfort from the live action world and watching it again uh despite all like the not so great textures on things and the limitations of the rendering and everything just the the dynamics of the opening scene that conti- and that continues through the rest of the movie are, again it's timeless it really pulls you in and makes you accept this as a movie first and as a computer exercise second yeah it's i i think that's a great point about um them being able to bring to bear a century almost of uh film language live action film language that a lot of animated movies could basically not do or had to do very little of and cheat. I mean, I remember there's that scene in Beauty and the Beast where they did the 3D animation um, spin in the dance, you know, in, ballroom, the, in, yeah. in the ballroom, right? And and at that moment, you're like, whoa, what am I seeing here, right? Because this is a move from another kind of movie. And and yeah, the, the computer animation, in that first scene, they are saying, look, we're shooting this like a movie. This is not going to be like the other kind of anime, what you think the language of animation is. This is going to be the language of a regular movie where they have cameras and they move them around. And they have different lenses. Like they use different, yep. like virtual, different virtual lenses for when you're looking through the binoculars is a different shot. They have, they have the zooms where they zoom out through the window and then back in, they have the, the smash zoom in on the people when, you know, they show he's at it again. He kicks the, the car off the end. Like mm-hmm. the, the, that aspect of it was novel. There's a little bit of lens flare early on or actually late. When uh, when when uh, the magnifying the reflecting yeah. yeah 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 time for a pause for one of our sponsors it's a brand new sponsor I'm very excited to welcome them on the incomparable it is need need you can find them at neededition.com n e e d need need is a curated selection of unique interesting and downright classy stuff for men. Every month, these items include everything from Texas tan leather coasters to nice sturdy writing materials. Oh, the pencils. I've got one here. This is a beautiful pencil uh, with a really neat eraser to um, lounging around pants uh, that they call trousers because they are proper um, they have bomber jacket style elastic cuffs. I'm told the pants are actually insanely comfortable and great, way better than alternatives like athletic shorts. This is one of the things I really like about Need is uh, they provide a level of curation. They're finding interesting products, but they also have some class and style. And as a, a gentleman who is lacking in style and class, I like it when a friend 
and uh, Need is a Friend Indeed uh, gives me their advice because they know more about this stuff than I do. And they say, you know, don't wear those basketball shorts around. I've got these really nice trousers that you can wear at home and lounge around in. Or here's a Henley to put on when you get home after work. This is the sort of stuff that Need provides with uh, high style and class. But you don't have to be Mr. High Fashion for Need to have something for you. I promise. Take a look at Need Edition dot com place an order for absolutely any item in the need edition store and then drop them a line at hello at neededition.com. Just tell them in an email that the incomparable sent you and you'll get 25% off your next order along with free extra stuff that will be sent to you as their gift from us. So need it's a really clever idea. They've got these monthly selections that they make. They're out there actively finding interesting and cool products to bring them to you. And like I said, give yourself maybe a little bit of an upgrade because these people know what they're doing. So check them out again, neededition.com. And thank you so much to need for sponsoring the incomparable. So, um, Let's see what else. Oh, I, I've got a I've got a really bizarre point that I want to make because I'm the host and I get to make this bizarre point at the very the first time we see them playing the uh, the checkerboard right the checkerboard comes out and Woody's not he's too busy to, to <laughs> do checkers, it right there the checkers move a little yeah but here's the bizarre thing the, the checkerboard is set up with the the seam the fold of the checkerboard going like right down the middle between the players. Yeah, it, who does that? Who does it? Does is it is it just me who uses that as like the border from my side and your side every time? Later in the movie, that's how the checkerboard is laid down. But in that first scene, it's going down the middle. That's weird. Yeah. Is it well, just? It does, it does make it a lot it easier to flip the checkerboard over when you get angry because you're losing. <laughs> well, that's the, the point. Is that Slinky Dog set up that board? I love Slinky is. Dog. Man, can you imagine what it would been, what it must have been like to try and animate that? That must have been so crazy. Yeah. The thing that really grabbed me this time watching it, uh, watched it one and a half times today, partly with my kid who hadn't watched it in a while. Uh, I'm amazed at like, you know, like I say, I, I feel like I can overlook so much stuff about, you know, a lot of it's super creepy, but like th- how quickly they characterize all the toys. Like you get like all of those characters was just so um elegantly like in the opening setup after when you, you know they kind of move in on woody on the bed and he opens his eyes he starts looking around you know says all is clear and and like all of the like the tentative movement of the uh, rc car coming out of the closet like it's just amazing in that space of i don't know what probably 90 seconds how many how many toys from our childhood get a character that we can understand in about a minute you, you obviously you get that that's you know uh, Don Rickles in the hockey puck joke and everything, but I thought it was uh, it's just so well done that like you get this collection of probably I would guess probably a, at least a dozen characters, you get them that fast and it sets the tone so quickly that like this is what we can expect. They try to do that in live action movies all the time. Like you can see you can see the wires, you can see the strings happening. Like where there's an ensemble movie and they have to have the opening scene. Here's the wisecracking friend. Right. And like I think the main difference is not so much in the skill of introducing them because a lot of movies know they need to do that. We need to get you like this is the guy who's timid, this is the aggressive jerk guy, this is the wise ass. Like you got to do all that stuff, right? The difference is that the characters in this movie are better than the normal like ensemble characters and like they're more interesting you know maybe it's because they're dinosaurs like maybe that adds an angle that you can't do like you've got a mr potato head with the particular you know like there is a combination of which toy they are and which attitude they have and whether those two things mesh or don't mesh or you know or whatever but i think they're 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 just good characters so they're good at introducing them and when they do introduce them they're all like likable relatable or funny or you know all three and 
that, but that you, really you even helps. you even understand their their motivation very quickly. You understand what is it they want. You understand that, which you know, I mean, that's such an obvious thing people talk about. But you understand that Rex wants to be a, a scary dinosaur. You know, it's just uh, I think that's that that's a harder trick than it looks like, uh, given the resources and constraints that they had. I, I think it's great that they pulled it off. And in a Joss Whedon television show, the whole thing is like the humor of his shows is based on I know that character, and when that character says something, it's because I know what that character is like that the thing they said is funny, not just because someone said it. If you just inserted an extra say that line, it's not funny. It's funny because I know what this character is like. So all the jokes in Toy Story rely on you establishing what these characters are like and, and what they want out of you know their life. And then when they say a particular line, it's not just that you can't arbitrarily assign the jokes to the things. And so very quickly, they have to get you up to like season three of a Joss Whedon television show where you're like, you know, the characters and the lines are, are, are match set and not just arbitrary. And you have to buy into the characters for the jokes to work. But there, it is a Gilbert and Sullivan sort of construction, though, where you have the the, the two pairs of leads, but then you also have the chorus uh, members, where the they're members of these of the, this toy team are people who talk with one collective voice about, hey, we're really, really fascinated by this really cool new toy. Hey, now we're going to turn on the person that we uh, that you, we used to think of as our leader. Now we're going to collectively think of uh, this character a different way again. Uh, and they put uh, they dump all of the nuance into those two leads. And that was the thing that really impressed me the most about the characterization here, that they were, maybe this is part of the leftover of having spent uh, the, the screenwriters, having spent so many years developing this mean-spirited Woody and then realizing that was the wrong way to go, but still knowing that, well, wasn't it fun to have this cowboy character that really could be a jerk? And I really do think they kind of made that part of the stew of Woody's character of saying that he could be this guy if things started to go really, really bad for him. And that a lot of the reason why he's such a kind person and he's got this sunny disposition is because he is on top of the world. Nothing has ever tried to disrupt this pleasant experience that he has as somebody who is completely in control of his own destiny. And as soon as you throw in that random feature in there where, no, he might have to actually listen to other people for a change and realizing that the people who quote follow him unquote aren't necessarily following him because of his leadership either that's when you start to see mean-spirited woody kind of come through and for those moments you really wonder yes he did no he didn't uh, push uh, push buzz but boy, was he thinking about it? Was his mind thinking that, oh, it would be so easy to do it? And are people looking at me right now? Could I get away with it? That's what really impressed me the first time that I saw this movie. What I like about that mm-hmm. um, that decision is it's it's Woody making a bad decision, but not, an, not a super evil decision. Woody's trying to... He can fix it, right. He wants to go right. to the pizza planet with, with Andy. So he wants to knock Buzz behind the bed so that he's temporarily lost. Just enough time that Andy brings him to Pizza Planet, but then it goes all wrong, and he ends up being responsible for Buzz being, you know, out in the bushes, and and so it's a. I, I you like wonder that. what kind of justice they would have meted out had he succeeded at just doing that instead of knocking him out the window. Would it would it have been something slightly less awful than lynching? Maybe like you know beating him with Mr. Potato Head. Oh, I think they sock? would have. They would have thrown all all of their uh, all of their support behind Buzz as the new leader, and Andy exactly. would be. Uh, would he, he, would, be he would have lost. He was making it look like an accident, though. I didn't push him behind that. He just must have fallen behind that crevice. If he had succeeded, yes, then Woody would have been on the path toward ultimate evil, and he would have ended up being the dictator of the room, and and 
and uh he would have been he already was the anyway. dictator of the room like that was his well, position in the beginning was that he he considered himself smarter than all the other toys which mm. and practically speaking he probably was he was he was sort of condescending to all of the other toys he was like a magnanimous leader but as long as you everyone acknowledges that i'm the best i'm the smartest everyone serves my needs does what i want when i want it and slinky was kind of like his little toady who was like yes what do you do whatever you want right and the the woody that we came to know later uh, doesn't exist in this movie until the end were to presume like this is this is his arc for this movie and in a lot of ways you would feel like in toy story 2 it's like where does he have to go because what he had his arc where he could have gone off one way but he ended up being like he learns from this experience and learns not to hold on so tightly to his thing as being the most important toy and to share andy with buzz and to realize you know all the stuff like but then where do you go from there and that's why toy story 2 is which we'll talk about in another podcast is, is mm-hmm. a pretty incredible achievement to take that further and make what i think is possibly even a better movie than this one uh but in this movie he has a very straightforward arc and for there to be an an interesting arc he can't start off as a nice guy who just ends up like one of those you know uh inconvenient coincidences and like misunderstandings that he was always a nice guy the whole time it was just a misunderstanding boy uh darn it when bad things happen to good people he has to start off as actually not that great for him to get somewhere Right. He wasn't exactly a dictator, though. This really was a situation where everybody who's following him have pretty much abdicated their own responsibility for their own destinies. They're not they don't seek leadership. They're very, very happy right. to have someone else do the he's thinking the and the around for him. Exactly. He's the sheriff. And so he's the sheriff of the room. He's of the toys. <laughs> well, and you have to assume that a certain percentage of them have a, a seething resentment for him as well, because surely <laughs> well, but at least one does. of those toys potato was, head, man. was Andy's favorite at some point. Make it, make it sound like a stoppered play. <laughs> yeah, p- Potato Head is definitely, yeah, there, there's a whole series of dramas that could be written about the, uh, so, the toy line. There was that brief preschool period when, when Potato Head was Andy's favorite toy, and then, then Woody came well, along. And now he's just the, the knockoff villain in, in the uh, the Woody story, right? And uh, So you get that, too, that he's the one, he's playing the bad guy, and Woody's always the good guy, and Woody's so great, and there's some jealousy there. I just wanted to say, and I know this is an unpopular opinion, but I do not like the Randy Newman songs. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna actually that's where I was that's where I was headed um, after one more you. topic, but let's talk about it now. I think his score is very very good. I should say that there are three songs in this movie, and I wanted to talk about them because we've got stra- we've got uh, you've got a friend in me, we've got strange things, and then we've got um, I will go sailing no more, right? Something mm-hmm. like that. And and I'm fascinated by this because to me this is the clearest example of the. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong, but but I read it as a clear example of the the creative tension between Pixar and Disney and between what an animated movie is supposed to do um, and what Pixar wants to do. Because I, I feel like all of the uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg successful Disney animated film revivals were musicals. They had people singing songs. And yep. so you get the sense that Disney was like, you got to have songs. Hey, Randy Newman. Yeah, use him. He's he's good. You gotta have some songs. Stick some songs in there. And they're like, I don't know. And, and so they, they they're in the movie, but they're not sung by characters. They're just sung by Randy Newman in the movie. I might actually like them better if they were sung by somebody other than Randy Newman. Well, and and two of them <laughs> and two of them are over. I mean, that strange things song. That is an '80s style film oh, montage. Yeah. If I have ever seen one, and, <laughs> big and, time. 
it, it, and it's 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 a little weird. It's a little almost like Uncanny Valley for movie music, where it's like they <laughs> wanted it to be a Katzenberg, you know, uh, Disney musical, and Pixar was like, well, we'll put songs in it, but that's it. And and I find it's not. I I think. I think it's not one of the strongest parts of this movie. I, I it, they don't bug me so much, and I actually think that when we talk about Toy, Toy Story two, the 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 one song in there is incredibly effective. But it, here it, it's like, well, we got to run songs somewhere, so we'll do a little comic montage and run run a but song did, with but it. Didn't you love that montage though? I yeah, love it's that a, montage. it, it yeah, is. I love when they zoom up on good. the bed and yeah. it's and it's Buzz Lightyear sheets. That is awesome. It would be a better montage without Randy Newman singing huh. in his I just ate a bunch of Skittles I, and I have yeah. a sugar bubble in the background. I don't I, I think Randy Newman like in this context like I think this is this is the movie where Randy Newman fits. Like I don't I don't accept Randy Newman songs in any mm. other movie. They it might are be the Toy movie Story. where he fits the best, songs. but I don't think he fits. I've I've always had the same complaint about this forever. He wrote one song and used the exact same song in three different movies. Because you got you got a friend in me, uh, you got uh, I love to see you smile from Parenthood, and then you have if I didn't have you from uh, Monster Monsters Inc. Uh. And they are the exact <laughs> same song. Strange strange you, things you can play against. I love L.A. Yeah, you got a. They bought the they bought the Costco Randy Newman you know three pack. Oh, you got a friend in me doesn't even have a real melody for the verses for crying out loud. Some of the guys might be a little bit smarter and cooler and. Taller than I do, maybe, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Not sure. I'll get back to you on that. Randy Newman has like a Mr. Potato Head song where it's the same body. He just keeps like swapping out different eyes and hats onto it. And, <laughs> and then that's why. With parts that you can change. Paul and Storm do a whole thing of, you know, Randy Newman's song from The Lord of the Rings. And it's the same. It, the melody is, is exactly the same in all of their Randy Newman songs. But they do Randy Newman songs for all these different movies. It's and he's great. so brilliant, too. I, I, wrote a, I wrote a blog post about this, like, I think after the, the second time he used that song, saying that, geez, I mean, and also all the music that he writes for these movies is pretty much the same. He's just, like, not my most interesting guy. And everybody who, who got into Randy Newman during the 70s, when he made all these brilliant albums uh like had a kind of had a go at me and i had to realize that oh okay i didn't realize that he'd done something before and around short people because all i knew is this again this mr potato head song that he keeps running out of course it was exactly like all of this stuff no no it's uh, you know the, he, he, he did a couple songs one of them up at show he uh uh he's done he's, he's I, I can't remember the name of the, the album but he did he did a re-recorded his two most famous albums from the 70s uh with like new orchestrations and it's like wow why didn't you just like lie to Pixar and hope they hadn't heard this album you recorded in 1975 and put that in the movie? If you if you're gonna laze your way out of this, laze your way out of it with a great song. I don't think I don't think I can blame Randy Newman here. I think r that Randy Newman has a bunch of different styles. I like I like Randy Newman, but I feel like what happened here was he got direction to do that little you know gentle ragtimey thing you do that yeah. talky ragtime like New Orleans that New Orleans yeah right and he grew up yeah. in New Orleans. Oh, yeah. And, and do that. That's what we want. We want that. And it's like, all Sometimes right. Sometimes there are toys that take over your spot on the bed. Sometimes. <laughs> yep. I guess. <laughs> Where's that little old rag doll? I left him in the hall. So what, so what was the third song? So the first one is You Got a Friend in Me. I, I will go sailing. When, I when will Buzz, go sailing Buzz tries, no more. Buzz you know, tries that's to actually fly. a very good song. But if he's, really the way is. he sings it makes my ears bleed. 
Say, I could drop the third song because I don't want to give up the first one because it makes sense in the context of the movie, even though it's silly and slight, right? The second one, I love that montage and you need music to go behind a montage and that music yep. fits. The third one, I could take or leave. I love I love an 80s montage. Well, that is the, that is the Sarah McLachlan song from Toy Story 2, which they wisely had Randy Newman not sing. Right. I mean, it made sense in the context of that movie because it's supposed to be about Jesse, right? But You can understand why that doll got left behind, yes. But but I think actually had I Will Go Sailing No More been sung by somebody with a little more uh, emotive Gravitas. capability, I, I yeah. think it would have worked very well. But in this case, not so much the, Randy, the composer's like, talk singing, yeah. shouting. But, but there, is, there is scoring to the movie in the beginning. Like there's that the Toy Story music, like the instrumental, oh, yeah. like that. And that yeah, I really like the way those, those songs work oh, as instrumental music. Because it's, it's frequently the same motifs and themes from the pop songs pop up in the score, and they work really nicely there. So I like the work he did with the score. I just, the pop songs do not work at all for me. Would have been happier with uh, with something else or somebody else singing it. Time for another brief break for another sponsor. It is the good people at Smile Software and PDF Pen Scan Plus. Let me explain what this is. This offers scanning and OCR directly from your iPhone or iPad, and it's just been updated for maximum usability. You can scan directly from your iPhone or iPad camera. Batch scanning is speedy. There's post-process image editing. It's fast and precise when you do your scan cropping afterward. After the OCR process runs, you can preview the results, then just copy the text automatically to use elsewhere. You can share your scan PDF with the embedded OCR text by email or to your favorite cloud surface. So yes, if you've got a document, you can take a picture of it and boop, a few seconds later, you've got full text to be emailed or pasted anywhere you want. It's a universal app. It works on your iPhone and your iPad. And of course, PDF Pen Scan Plus is available in the App Store. If you want to scan multiple pages, not a problem. You can scan as many pages as you want and then edit the images after processing. You can scan receipts and other custom paper sizes. You can preview the OCR text right as a page overlay. It's really easy to crop. And coming soon, PDF Pen Scan Plus version 1.4, which is adding auto export of new scans directly to Dropbox or to PDF Pen's own iCloud-based storage for sharing with PDF Pen running on iOS or on the Mac. And in some other exciting smile news, they've also taken the wraps off of the Text Expander custom keyboard for iOS 8. If you've upgraded to iOS 8 or gotten a new iPhone 6, check out the Text Expander update. There's a custom keyboard that will automatically work with all of your awesome Text Expander stuff just right as you're typing. It's really awesome. So here's where you go for PDF Pen Scan Plus. Go to smilesoftware.com slash incomparable. That's smilesoftware.com slash incomparable. Thank you so much to Smile for PDF Pen Scan Plus, for Text Expander now with a custom keyboard on iOS 8, and of course for sponsoring the incomparable. So what what I wanted to mention also in the context of the especially the strange things montage, which is a funny montage, and yeah, I like eighties movies too. So of course I love a montage. You got to have a montage. There should be more montages. Mm-hmm. So so it's it's there's this there's the sequence in in quick succession where um, where uh, Andy gets Buzz, and I'm fascinated by it because what what we see during that montage is this tension between. Uh, the sci-fi trappings of of Buzz and the Western stuff of Woody, and 
um, when you look at that, just like all of a sudden Woody feels old because Western as a genre feels old and and outmoded and maybe little kid. And he's suddenly this new sci-fi stuff is really exciting and fun. And, and, and as this is all going on and, and I really, I really liked how they did that. It's not just that buzz is new. It's like everything buzz represents in, in the universe and lasers and spaceships and stuff like that, as opposed to the, you know, dumb old cowboy sheriff. Um, and, 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 the music is playing while that's happening, and I, I really, I really liked how it's it's not just that it's this it's the whole it's like one genre coming in and elbowing the other one out and saying you're yeah, and, old, forget and it. And like and like John said, with the way the kids actually play with toys, I, I not only was it a very efficient bit of storytelling, you know, uh, to show his to show uh, first of all like how Buzz is bonding with all the new people, he's showing Rex how to roar and stuff like that. Right. But also, obviously, like the, the moment when he runs into the closet with his woody jammies and then runs out with his wonderful homemade Buzz Lightyear costume oh. that I, I think that's extremely well done. Cause it gets to the capriciousness of little kids. Like a, a little kid is going to change their preferences. Like, like so fast you you wouldn't even you wouldn't even believe that Woody ever meant anything well although having having had kids when I first saw this movie I didn't have kids and having had right. kids now and watching it I'm fascinated by the fact that I turned to my wife last night while we were watching this and I said but you know Woody um Woody's been around with that kid for a long time Buzz is a a cheap plastic space toy and he's going to get played mm-hmm. with for like two weeks and then he's going to like his wings are going to snap off and he's never going to get played with again. Till dad I've, accidentally I've, removes the batteries. Ex- exactly. <laughs> Those wings come off the Buzz Lightyear so easily. No, no. Till, until, oh, yeah. until, until, the, until the remote control in the living room goes dead and the dad says, where do we have double A batteries? Mm. Okay. He'll never notice. I have to make one point here. What yes. dad? Yeah, oh, there's, the, there's a lot of thought, thought on this. The the uh, the uh, the unspoken absence of a dad. The other thing I noticed in the same vein is Woody has no gun. Woody yes, has no gun, right. and Andy, Andy has no dad. Both not referenced. Both not important, other than the Ooh. fact that the matchstick fits. I think in the there's holster. a parallel. There's there? been a, a lot of scholarship on this. I'm sure. And also, the fact that he's wearing Jesse's hat. Yeah, so Woody has no gun. I think is obvious because they don't want him to be a toy that pulls out a gun. Right. Because then yeah. constantly, all the kid would ever do is make the gun go into well, and, and, they can and shoot things. Any toy that's got one of those little tiny things like that, you totally lose that, right? Yeah, that, yeah, that hat would have been that, so that, lost that, by now. Right. The hat would not, unless it was sewed to his head or something. Like that. And but the lack of the dad, I think, is a a nice nod to uh, you know to, to the reality of families in America, essentially, like that. That a lot of people don't have that. Before I read the scholarship, <laughs> I had always assumed his dad had died, and in my in my uh, to quote uh, Erica, my, in my head canon, yeah. I always I always <laughs> assumed his dad had died, and that was his dad's toy, like from ah, the '60s or something. Me too. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that well, if we assume that dad has has died, I think dad we went out at, for cigarettes and never came back. Uh, and we look at Molly, who is maybe <laughs> what like six months old. Dad is fairly recently gone, so. I, I oh, yeah. kid is turned around fast. I assume he's with Dad on weekends. <laughs> yeah. I, I, movie with the, weekends yeah. with Dad. With other toys. Dad, Dad doesn't even show up for Christmas. The moving feels like a divorce, but I think well, I don't want to get into the scholarship. That's that's headcanon. <laughs> but uh but but there's there's definitely there's there's uh, there's always this intimation. Yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself because right, so I, I I'm a bigger fan of two and three, but so, you know. So what I well, I will say that while we were watching it, um uh, my wife said uh 
go single mom move into a nice big house <laughs> right because they move they end up moving to a much bigger house which they've got a they've got a new baby and currently she the, seems the, pretty the, chill the son and the daughter are, are sharing the room right i think so. maybe mom has polished off dad and the baby Exa- girl insurance next, money which exactly is she's, which is why insurance she's riding in the front money. seat uh, oh. In a front-facing he's, child he's seat, he's buried in the backyard, and they have to go to a new house. It was a different time. <laughs> so, if we want to get to the cat talking aspect of this, film, here's, 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 the, here's the cat talking aspect. Of what, do you, what do you mean, John? What are you talking All right. about? All right, why? Why when Buzz on. when Buzz arrives on the scene, why does he follow the toy rules? As in going limp when Andy is there. Okay, I have that one in my notes too. And I don't know. That, that is Why does he clam up when Andy's like, around? And it basically it means like there is there is a there is the world of the toys, but then there is like an a, a larger force that like Ugh. and they break it at the end of this movie when Andy's Ugh. mouth moves and he does the things Gosh. right. Like, but that is like a larger like, a law of the universe that even yes. though Buzz does not think he's a toy, he cannot help but behave like a toy in the presence of humans all the way up to the point of like going back to his previous position and flopping down. But they don't show him flopping a lot, but he does do that, and it's weird. That was that was such a big mistake. Except for when he decides to climb into the passenger seat of the pizza truck, and then he and buckle himself in, yeah. a, a, seat belt, and yeah. exposes himself to the driver, or, got, or could very easily have done. It doesn't matter. He's not going to. Yeah, that's a good point. But he that, didn't that was that. that was a consistent mistake in the first movie. They they didn't they didn't really know the universe they were creating. They felt as though they had to spell some things out, and they needed to put some rules into this universe to explain why no one has ever discovered that the toys are actually alive when you're not looking at them. They they did a such so much of a better job in two and three because I think that they sort of adopted the Calvin and Hobbes rules. Or they, or for another analogy would be the, the sixth sense rules, where so long as you just simply never have a situation occur in which someone would notice that these toys are alive, so long as you never notice that Bruce Willis is actually a ghost, you can have these, you can have these people do whatever you need them to do without having to call attention to, oh, wait a minute, but you know that he has to be here at this point, but he can't do this at this point, which is things that, uh, that, Nobody's going to be interested in. This is not a documentary on how the rules of of, of toys works. Uh, or so maybe was... the toys don't talk at all, and this is just a hallucination <laughs> that Dad is having as he bleeds well, out on the floor. Yeah, of his the cover room. they have, the, the cover they have, I think, is cleverly woven into this, and the kids never know where the heck their toys are. Like they have no idea where they are. They they they, they, would, they wouldn't notice a baby monitor. So they true. don't see a baby no, monitor by their bed. Not. Like the places toys are in our house, and how oh, little yeah. track children have of these toys. Like the fact that she says, "Oh, mom," but they were in the car, and mom's like, "Mom totally believes it." So, like, if you're going to be uh, like animated inanimate objects that move on their own, children's toys are the ones to be because no one is going to ever find it suspicious where those things are. No, no, absolutely true. And, and I, my personal. Uh, interpretation of this or headcanon if you like is my my interpretation is that the the toys know um the rules like they they innately know the rules and they can be overridden um although i find that scene kind of problematic because of that yeah. the reasons we've said but that buzz, buzz might think that he's not a uh not a toy but he still is following the rules of toys uh, well the, the the obvious explanation to me that is doesn't fit here is that it's a weeping angels type situation <laughs> where basically if if somebody if there's not a person there who can see you you have the ability to move and talk and, and have meanings that's red but, light green light for those of you who don't speak doctor who mm. <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to think of an analogy for people who aren't five thousand years old good but. job uh good job steve <laughs> red Thank light you. green light i don't think kids play that anymore good job it? you identified that as doctor who and not star trek well, well i know done. my stuff yeah good job well done that well was uh, the babylon five episode yeah. mm-hmm. of uh, yeah. doctor who hi oh yeah should we um I want to talk about Sid. 
Uh, we see sure. we we get uh, roughly at this Scott point we, we get we get <laughs> AKA Scott Farkas. We get Sid, our, who has a dad. We get our view of Sid. I'd like to defend Sid. I was going oh. to too. I, I said Sid is the is the monster in this movie, but when you look at him, and again, this may be something about twenty years later and me being a parent. I look at this and I'm like, you know, Sid is a monster to toys. But Sid is just a kid. He's just mm. a perfectly. He's I mean, very industrious. He's a MacGyver in the making. Yeah, that's, what, see, that's, <laughs> the, that's, that's, that's exactly my point. See, because you know this other boy is simply a tool of the toy companies and market and their marketing firms. <laughs> Sid is saying, you know what? I'm not not going to take these storylines that I'm being handed to. I'm going to create my own characters and my own stories. And I'm also I'm going to learn the maker skills that are required yep. in order to build and repair my own toys. He's a hacker. Uh, if you if you if you had a little kid, uh, he, he's a kid who has a toolbox. You know, and yep, that's a yeah. cool stuff. That, you know, I, I remember the first time that I helped my dad. And a rector like, set, apparently, because that, that exactly. doll head is riding on some <laughs> old rector set mm-hmm. action. Right, and also it's it's it kind of if 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 you want to go into uh, again the 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 graduate school thesis conversation level of Toy Story, and we do. Thank you. I, 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 I accept your banner of banner of legitimacy on this issue. But so, is, isn't, isn't it a little bit creepy and interesting that you talk about these two worlds in which these toys want nothing more than the intention of the lo- and the love of much larger beings that are utterly unknowledgeable and in- indifferent to the feelings that they inspire in these creations? Is that a little bit like the relationship that kids often have with their parents? But but here's the th- here's the thing about uh, about Sid that I, I just I, I want to say this again that Sid is when we're viewing this movie from the toys perspective which we are he is he is the the monster of this movie he's the bad the bad but yeah. but he's not I mean that's I I really believe that and now having watched lots of you know having been a parent and seen lots of kids he is he is hyper. Um, you know, and he likes to blow stuff up and set things on fire a little bit, but he also, yeah, he has got a toolbox. He is experimenting. He's mean to his little sister. He's play acting, hurting the toys though. Like he, he's well, play yeah, yeah, acting yeah, yeah. that the toys feel pain and that he takes enjoyment in the pain. So he's not a no. Name. That's yeah. that's that's, <laughs> not, that's not psychotic. If, if he were psychotic, it would be him taking pleasure in seeing the pain that he's inflicting on something else. If he can, if he's uh, if he's creating a story in which he's the bad guy, yeah. that's not necessarily fantasy and wish fulfillment. He's play we, we, he's play acting. He's he's repeating stories that he's seen in TV and movies. I and know, things but like, like that. usually kids don't choose to always be the bad guy. That's all I'm saying. Sometimes you should be the good guy. Darth Vader. They they they, they sold they sell they sold Darth Vader uh, uh, action figures and, and costumes in the 70s. He was not the good guy until the third movie on. <laughs> he, but any, anyway, I mean, yes, I, I just Sid is problematic in some ways, but I think it's really interesting that that um, when you view him from a certain angle, he's not necessarily. I mean, yeah, he's he's probably a pain in the butt to be if you're his parent, and or he's really mean I to his the, sister. The subtext of Sid's house, though, is that his family is not as together. Like you don't see Sid's parents at all, except for that one shot of right. like whoever's sitting in that chair. Like it seems well, that's like, dad you know, in the chair because you hear the mom later downstairs. Yeah. His house. So at is least he has like, a dad. There's a very nice tea party going on in his sister's room. I don't know what I you're know, talking like, about. They make his house look a little bit more like like you don't see the parents interacting with the kids as much as Andy's mom is kind of you know. Know, shushing him from one place to the other and throwing a party for him and what are what are Sid's parents doing for him or his sister they seem to be like neglected children and like you know their backyard is kind of a mess there's no grass it's just dirt yeah. that's not Sid's fault he doesn't he doesn't maintain the backyard right so it's kind of it's 
it seems like that the home they come from may have helped produce Sid the way he is. And like the toys, Sid doesn't have a bunch of new toys. He's got a bunch of pieces of old toys. And it's yeah. not just because he blew them up. It's not like his parents are, he didn't get not a just. new Buzz Lightyear for his birthday. That's why he was excited yeah. to see the Buzz Lightyear in the claw machine. Right. Oh, a Buzz Lightyear. His mom didn't get him one of those. I think Sid is almost damaged enough to be a CalArts uh, undergraduate, mm. a future CalArts undergraduate time for a break let me tell you about something you may not have heard of before it's called solero solero is your online study guide it covers english language arts math and science from third to twelfth grade and is available 24 7 because it's digital solero has more content than could ever fit in a textbook don't settle for competing solutions who only offer one subject at a time solero is designed to be convenient and easy to use for all ages. Now, everybody in the U.S., there is a new curriculum in the majority of states this year. I just went to my kids back to school night and heard about this in, in middle school and in elementary school. Uh, we're both, we're all facing this. It's the new U.S. Common Core. And what that does is it makes a lot of previous study resources out of date. Other sites may not yet be updated. It might mean that your child is learning out-of-date material. Solero has the complete U.S. Common Core coverage, including new computerized assessments required by the Common Core coming in time for the 2015 final exams. Solero is the first study resource to provide full-length final exams for practice. If you don't live in a Common Core state, Solero curriculums are tailored to each specific state's needs, so they've got something for you even if you're not in Common Core. Even if you don't live in the U.S., you can still get access to a great English language resource covering the core curriculum concepts by choosing the California region when you log in. Solero is accessible online at solero.com slash incomparable. That's S-O-L-A-R-O dot com slash incomparable. And there are also native apps, iOS, Android, Windows 8.1. They're all available now. And what, here's what you should do first. Go to solero.com slash incomparable. Click register and you'll sign up for a free account. It lets you take a practice quiz, view the first set of lessons in any course Solero offers. The free account doesn't require a credit card to sign up or even an email address. You can just try it out, no risk. And then for full access, it's $29.95 per month or $199.95 per year. But 5 by 5 and incomparable listeners get a special deal enter offer code spoilerhorn one word spoilerhorn at checkout and you'll get 50 percent off your solero subscription not just for the first year but for the entire life of your subscription so as long as you're a solero customer you can get it half off by entering offer code spoilerhorn and you can try it out today at solero.com slash incomparable no credit card no email address required and see what you think so if you got kids and you want to help them with online study guides solero.com and thank you so much to solero for sponsoring the incomparable while we're on sid i i, I noticed something that i had not picked up previously which is that the scene where he blows up combat carl and you've got like the various bits of combat yes. Carl flapping against the side of the house. Mm -hmm. That's a little gruesome yep. for a G-rated movie when you think about it. Yep. I mean, these are supposed to be living entities here. And then uh, Hannah's Tea Party, which is attended by a table full of headless corpses, yes. is also pretty grim. <laughs> I, I was a little surprised by that. I don't know about corpses, right? Because we know they well, can moving. reattach the heads. So they're just headless creatures. So we, we already sort of talked about the scene where Woody ends up knocking Buzz out the window. And, of course, uh, 
this is that line that I whole love that I love. The we need more monkeys. That's the whole barrel. That's great stuff. Um, <laughs> that line that line stands out for me. Is that man. if I was if I was doing a rewrite on that, I would say do not say that was the whole barrel because that is that's too that's one step too far. You know, uh, we need more monkeys. is funny by itself. If you know the whole barrel of monkeys, you already got the joke. I allow you to show the barrel and say that's all. I, have. I do <laughs> not allow you to say the oh, con- barrel is. That's not a contemporary toy, John. I mean, you can get them, but I don't. I don't think most. I know, people but like get the saying barrel is not going to bring anybody on, new on board. Yeah, that's but one it of those makes me laugh. parents. That makes one's me laugh. clearly for the older yes. people in the room. The yeah, kids aren't going to get I it know, anyway. But the, but the older people got it from the first two sections. No, exactly. no, that's a whole barrel. Is the that's the. That's the extra punch I, at the I end. Not, no, Got to go with John on this one. That is too far. I, like I, that. I, I would like to make a note that I think most of the gags work. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, especially when they're rapid fire, they go by fast. When when Potato Head takes off his mouth and mimics kissing his own butt, I, I, I yeah. still think that's <laughs> a little, also a little adult for a <laughs> kids' yep, movie. Yep, a little yeah, adult, true. Yeah. Oh wait, we 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 passed the uh, the knocking out the window without mentioning the Wilhelm scream. Oh, yeah, yes, I have, yes. I have that in my notes, yep. Yes, when yep. Buzz goes out the window, he goes out with a Wilhelm scream. They really missed an opportunity, I think, by not giving the tie-in Buzz Lightyear toy a Wilhelm scream mm. button, because I would have <laughs> snapped that sucker up. So oh, this movie is yeah. like, Pixar was with Disney then. They were like their whatever publisher. They didn't own them yet, but it was Pixar and Disney, right? Yep. But the Star Wars connection here is also very strong. There are Star Wars mm-hmm. sound effects later. Mm-hmm. You've got the Wilhelm scream, and then you've got like Akuna Matata playing in the car and the whole Disney connection. It's a weird, it's almost like, Star Wars connection to Pixar stuff is weird because they're not the same company. Well, now they are okay, but they weren't the and same. And they were, company. but they were originally. Right. They they, they right. They came the from Lucas, right? I know, but it's like it's kind of like this friendly, not incestuous, but like this friendly. Like we're all on the same team here. We're the computer guys and Disney, and these are all the things we love. And I love the fact that they just they just put those things in their movie. We're going to put in Star Wars laser blast effect. We're going to put in the and Wilhelm lawsuits were not deployed. That's the shocking part. Well, Gary yeah. Rydstrom did the sound, and he's a Lucas guy who did the Star Wars movies. And so that's why the, it sounds, why, that's why there's Star Wars sounds in it. I got one note on sounds. I, I, I did not notice this. Gosh, I don't, I don't know how many times I've seen this movie, but you know, it's, uh, you know, you talk about when they, when they first, speaking of Star Wars, the first time they showed Star Wars to people without, I guess without the sound, John, you can ch- chime in here, but without the sound effects and without the soundtrack, it wasn't nearly the same movie, obviously. And in this case, I think so much of what makes the the movie work and again i don't know i'm thinking of, particularly in andy's room when they're introducing the characters there's so much to the sound design in this that i think really really mm-hmm. still works just dumb stuff like when woody's talking on the microphone and he's talking close and it's more amplified he's further away it's not amplified they really give you a sense of space in the room mm-hmm. with the sound everybody's got their own sounds i think that's that's one of those things where unless you're watching closely you might not notice how much of the visual image is sold uh by the sounds well, if if you close your eyes while you're watching it, you can still pretty much follow where things are spatially, which I mean that is just nice sound work. Yeah. Uh, at the gas station, I love the design of the Dynaco station. By the way, it is beautiful. This is, this is a this is a beautiful yeah. set. And this is it, foreshadowing the, of Lasseter's cars right here, in sure, the but, highest degree. Yeah. The, 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 the classic looking gas station. I love the lo- the Dinoco with the logo. I love that it's <laughs> this starry night, and the sun's going down. It's not it's not dark yet. It's not quite but, dark yet, but the stars are coming out. Yeah, like like seven thirty or eight. Like it's it, getting dark. And uh, this is the first time we've really been like out in the wide open. This is a very different environment from what we've seen up till now, and it's kind of stunning. And you're viewing it sort of from toy level, right? And that is really interesting too. It just looks it looks beautiful. And then what we see here is essentially uh, this is one of those great moments where you see that Buzz is 
his backstory is like a weird amalgam of Star Trek and Star Wars, because although he comes from the Space Patrol and all of those things, um, he essentially is R2-D2. He has the Death Star plans and is trying to get them back to the Federation or something. He's got the single way of destroying the, the starship that can that will destroy a planet. Uh, which, after he unspools this entire plot uh, summary of Star Wars, Woody's response is simply, you are a toy! Yeah, they yeah. build that joke for the whole movie. He's <laughs> constantly been telling the yeah. Buzz that he's a toy, and then it builds to that scene. And, like, you would... I remember thinking that, like, it was a little bit of stunt casting with, like, Tom Hanks and, uh, what's his name from Home Tim Improvement? Allen. Tim right, Allen. Right, Tim Allen from Home Improvement. But at this point, like, Tom Hanks is, is Woody, and, and Tim Allen is Buzz. And it's not like, oh, they got that guy from that popular TV show, because mm-hmm. it kind of sounds like it's kind of... he Like, yeah. when he's there and does the voice, he's looking off in the distance, I, I know it's only weakness, and, you know, you are a toy. They're perfect for, like, you could put those two voices on an odd couple-type show in the, in the 70s, and it would be fine. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, and it's, it's, like, it's pretty subtle that, like, it's not just that, you know, if you ended up in some kind of, uh, you know, strange planet and you didn't know what was going on, you know, what are you going to question? But with Buzz, there, it's just... The question he's still buzz lightyear it's just that he's questioning like the the way that a bed feels to walk on right it's 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 it so encapsulates the character and you know woody's getting more and even even when they're having that very first one of the very first conversations where they're standing on the bed and it's almost like they're having two different conversations where woody's like hey just want to tell you a little bit about how things work here and buzz adamantly refuses to move off the idea that that he's a space guy like down to that great pov shot like from inside of the helmet where you can hear him breathing mm-hmm. and you can see his reflection mm-hmm. in it, it just the red, it's so, the red dot on Woody's forehead. Is yeah. another, another, it's like it's yeah. like the it's like the, with the completely like, ineffectual the way, light. The, the way the way that he crab walks in a circle yeah, around yeah. with <laughs> that that was the, there there are two or three shots specifically that I think are the most, still hold up today. One is that crab walk. The other one is when Woody at the absolute end of his rope for frustration is like does almost like a half Kermit the Frog. You are a <laughs> waggle <laughs> toy. He totally Kermits. Yeah. It's not even yeah. halfway. Yeah, and 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 um, so about Tim Allen, I I think you know five years later he was in Galaxy Quest, and I, I watching Galaxy Quest now, it's like I have this very strange like it's Buzz Lightyear, <laughs> he is but it's a live action Buzz Lightyear, he's doing the same thing, but um, the you are a toy is almost immediately responded to by the way with one of the great lines in this movie, which is you are a sad strange little man, and then he says farewell and flashes the Vulcan salute from <laughs> right, Star Trek, right, right. you have my pity. <laughs> the amazing, the amazing thing about Buzz is that, he, like, so this movie, he realizes he's a toy and has that great scene where he's peeling off the sticker and everything. Like, you know, this is that's his arc. In subsequent movies, he's still kind of that same, yep. you know, sort right. of like. Well, that is his personality, right? Exactly. That they, they didn't take that away from him. That 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 underneath it all. He's still Buzz Lightyear, even though he recognizes that he's one of many toys of Buzz Lightyear. That's his character, and it, and it makes you wonder if maybe does he have some f- form of mental illness, albeit temporary, at the beginning? Because he is, he is delusional. He is maybe a talking he hit his toy. head like the Iron Giant, and then he's actually a gun deep down. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, that's also one of the most uh, – there, there are a couple of kind of semi-heartbreaking moments in there. And then there is that beautifully animated moment where he realizes that, oh – Two seconds ago, I was a space commander who had the entire galaxy at my feet and a lifetime of adventure behind me, and now I realize I'm just a cheap hunk of plastic of which there are thousands and thousands in the entire world. Not a flying toy. Bummer. That <laughs> not is a, a brutal scene, Not a flying toy. 
that little existential crisis he has there. That's actually kind of hard to watch. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like I said, when he's peeling that sticker off, it's like, that's brutal. When he's like, looking at the sticker, flapping it around, crumple, crumple, throws him. Well, that, that hurts me as somebody who's just a little obsessive compulsive. Like, no, don't do that. What are you, come on. That's why You're no longer mint. Stay mint. You need uh, the guy from Jerry's Game to come and fix him. If it was put on a little sideways, I would understand it, but that thing was perfectly centered. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, one, more, one more quick thing in passing, just super fast about Dinoco. Uh, this is one of the things, I, and John Gruber and I have obsessed about this in the past. We've talked about how in Toy Story 3, when, when Andy gets in the car and puts on the seatbelt, it's like the seatbeltiest seatbelt you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> and in this one, like, they did not have to put so much detail into the undercarriage of a truck. Right. That, like when they're moving and you get that kind of parallax effect of how it's moving, it's just, you know, every bit of this. You know, like they've said in the documentaries about this, in, a, in animation, nothing accidentally appears in animation. Somebody had to sweat every second of that. Yeah. And, and I really right. feel like, you know, it's, 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 this is 19 years old. And you really still feel like these are toys talking under a truck. And it, and it completely works. A crappy, yeah. beat-up pickup truck from the Pizza Planet, too, which we, I, which I believe reappears <laughs> in numerous... Yeah, it's in movies. It's in Cars. Yeah, Pixar it's in movies. Cars. It's in all the movies, I think. It's, in Brave. It's, even, it's in Brave, for crying out loud. They put it everywhere. The Yo truck. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, okay, off to the Pizza Planet, which is the perfect place for Buzz. Pizza Planet is awesome, by the way. Why it has is. nobody opened a real Pizza Planet? I don't I know. It's go. way better than Chuck E. Cheese. They have it's it done at Disney same, Studios in Florida. I don't I've think those there. robots by the doors are within fire codes, though. Like, it seems like <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> the vomiting alien, uh, though, is a yeah. Is a that is such a good idea. Spits like, out that, your drink. Speaking of <laughs> and whack an alien, whack an alien. Such a great joke again for the for the parents. Whack an alien. I only noticed that this time where it's oh, like yeah. a guy on a table with aliens <laughs> yes. popping out, popping of out of his chest. <laughs> Another not exactly G-rated joke. There. Yeah. Yeah, but it it goes by. It's the kids aren't even going to get a joke like that. Um, I, I like this, and 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 it, this is a great uh, moment between Woody and Buzz, where Woody is manipulating Buzz because he knows Buzz loves this stuff, and and so he's like, "Oh, Buzz, go over here. We I found a spaceship. Here's a spaceport, right?" And 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 Buzz just goes along with it, and and uh, which is kind of adorable. Hyperactive hyperdrive, where Woody shows that he doesn't even know the terminology no. for the space stuff. But then, but it backfires when Buzz sees. Uh, he tells him to wait here, and Buzz sees the uh, the claw machine rocket and decides to dive into the the claw machine, which leads to one of my favorite th- things in this entire movie, which is the little green squeaky aliens they, who worship the claw. Little, they look a little rough too. They do, although they are. I, I imagine they are the, the cheapest outside. possible toy, right? That they, they I'm saying like the, the rendering, like yeah. when you have one shot, you have some one of their ears is really close to the camera, and the scene between the ear and the head is not good, hmm. like. Is, uh, and you think they would be good at that one? Like sometimes they look at the shots that like that one got away from them. Like they just didn't have <laughs> enough time to re-render, and it's just like it is what it is. Every appearance is a crowd scene, though, so that's that's got to be yeah. difficult. Yeah. yeah, but like yeah. I, when I first saw this movie, like I I remember those guys making as big an impression on me as Woody and Buzz. Absolutely. They so they were just so funny and so adorable, yep. and had so many memorable lines. And and like the thing is, it pulled you into the world of like. What is the experience for other toys? Not all toys are owned by a kid mm-hmm. in their room and get played with. These toys have lived in this little bubble, and their entire world is defined by the thing that's above them. And they have no idea what like they're they're like Buzz in some respects, or they've just sort of rationalized their world. And you know, like, well, I guess someone pulls the sun across the sky with a chariot every day. And, it's the chosen you know, one. 
They're a cargo cult, basically. This is a very subversive thing in that way because they have created an entire worldview based on their placement in the claw machine to the point where they worship the claw, it moves, I go on <laughs> to a better place, my friends, and, and that's followed up when they're going to Sid's house where he says, Nirvana is coming, right? I mean, he is in. He is headed for the afterlife. They have created an entire religion on the claw. An- another, yeah. another possibility for the grad student thesis that <laughs> j- they, they, the aliens are in the exact same position as Buzz Lightyear. Lightyear. They are fresh from packaging. They have not experienced life with an owner yet. And it's somehow it is the power of the love granted upon them by a child that gives them that self-awareness. Mm. I've realized, oh, I'm, a, I'm, actually, I'm not actually an alien. As I've been molded, I'm actually a toy. And here's my reality. Okay. And that's the moment where the dog uh, tears you into little pieces. Can I just say that for the uh, <laughs> the the strength of that claw is massively exaggerated. Did you see how it held on to? But like that claw cannot hold on to a cotton ball. This is the most poorly tuned crane game I have ever seen. That claw has got to have epoxy on it or something. I, I feel like I couldn't pull up Buzz Lightyear with my fingertips from that position, and yet the claw, the same claw that will drop a cotton ball within <laughs> its grasp, like that's the whole point of the claw machine. There is no strength in the claws; it never picks up anything. It grabs him in the most implausible way possible. They are going to lose millions of dollars on that thing. In fact, that's probably why Pizza Planet never expanded beyond the Tri-County It, it has, like, Woody pulling down on his legs, and it doesn't let go. That, it was, it was, pay, it was paying off the class action suits from all the people who put money into that machine. That's why they were, didn't have enough money to expand. It's like the scene in Casino. Someone's going to come out and say, these, these slot machines are paying off. You didn't shut the floor down. <laughs> Although maybe this is just another point in Sid's favor. The kid might just be that good. Yeah. He's a crane game wizard. <laughs> So that's it could be. The, the poor man's version of uh, Tommy uh, who rock opera. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be in my head all night now. Oh God! So uh, we go back to Sid's house. Sid Sid uh, gets Woody and Buzz and and one squeaky alien who is fed to the dog. Sid's house, the rug in Sid's house, shining, shining. Yep. Yep, uh, shining rug and shining wallpaper. There's a motif that carries throughout. Nice. The house. They did they, the decorator came They're to the big house fans. And said, Can we do the shining everywhere? They've got they've the got uh, they've got two thirty sevens through everything. I knew it. He's a member of the replica prop forum. It explains <laughs> yeah, right. everything: the tools, the the the, mm-hmm. the 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 rug that he made. There you go. The complete disinterest in his children. Exactly. I like the fact that Buzz's spacesuit, the the day glow elements, actually do glow. Oh in yes, the of Sid's room. That's a and nice that and that touch. weird sickly glow that you only see in absolute pitch darkness. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Perfect. And and this is where um this is where we get the Buzz's moment of 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 a realization where he's not a yes. flying toy. He sees a TV commercial, which is a an amusingly uh, cheesy TV commercial. I figure if t- Pixar made this movie today, that would be in live action. Um, but it's not, although it's got, it's got Pendulette doing his best shouty, uh, TV commercial narrator voice <laughs> and Buzz is, is taking it back to the point where once he's lost his arm and he's seen that he's a toy, he decides to just go with it and be Mrs. Nesbitt and enjoy the tea party <laughs> in Sid's sister's, uh, room, which is pretty funny. And then Randy Newman sings a song while passing a stone and ruins it all. <laughs> <laughs> The tea party gives them an excuse to put in the actual open GL teapot. There are many, many, many <laughs> hidden things in this movie. I mean, you figure this is the first one that, like, yeah. it seems like it's, like, packed with stuff. Like, figure every scene, I got to put in something. And if you pause and, like, read the titles of the books that they're behind Woody or look at all this stuff. But the, the teapot shorts. one is, like, that one's just for the 3D people, right? Like, it's the actual open GL teapot. It's like a demo uh, resource or something? Yeah, just Google OpenGL teapot. There's a whole yeah. Wikipedia page. About so, it. so one of the things I really like here is that this is where Woody reestablishes contact with with Andy's room, and 
um, it's a funny scene because Buzz has lost it and and lost his arm and he's completely just catatonic and and so woody is communicating accurately about what's going on and they don't believe him and there's right. that funny moment where he he like has got the arm and he's trying to say oh buzz is right here and uh, it all unravels and now everybody like, oh is sure God. that woody is a monster that is very that is a very funny scene <laughs> we also learn at this point that mr potato head is a terrible battleship player <laughs> <laughs> That's a great bit. It's it's a little subtle. It's another one for the parents. He's got all of his ships clumped into yes. one little square, <laughs> and he has filled up every single spot on the board from the shots he's taken on Rex. Yeah. Or uh, he's playing Ham. That, but ham, right. It's amazing. Uh, this is also where, and, and this is actually one of those plot twists that I really love, which is uh, like like me saying... Um, yeah, that 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 maybe Sid's not so bad. What they what they're really doing here with our expectations is this idea that these uh, these misfit toys, these which they call like like the cannibal toys, uh, there are assumed to be scary and evil because they're ugly and mismatched. And this is where we we discover that even though they don't talk and they're all you know and they're all weird looking, they're actually perfectly nice and they fix Buzz. And it's I really love that moment that these guys are not bad and we have just assumed because of the horror movie setting that they're in that they're uh that they're you know they're evil and they're cannibals and it's just not true like burning man that's, that's the burning man compound <laughs> it's at, at like, place. it's just like burning man andy you got it but they're, they're into body modification <laughs> would that the other toys in andy's room had exercised such understanding before wanting to string woody up this whole thing would not have happened <laughs> well isn't that interesting that here in here in the tyranny of sid's uh room with all the toys being dismantled and, and reattached this is a you know a, a culture with sort of a quiet dignity amid the amid the rubble is they they're all kind of nice and helpful and silent whereas in in andy's supposedly happy room it's uh you know full of recriminations and bitterness toward <laughs> toward Woody and things like that. But it's just it's really sweet and and it is that you know you judged us because of what we look like and you made a real mistake moment that I like because I judged them right. I mean they're scary. Where the movie tells us to be scared of them and then says Mm-mm, wrong you blew it you're a bad person which I like. <laughs> yeah I'm I'm with you there. Yeah, it's a nice. It's just like a nice that. flip around there. It's that, a nice reverse, and they're silent, which also keeps it really interesting. That they they are, you know, there's like the little clicks and things of them moving, but they're there's otherwise a, hor- a horrible screeching noise as the baby head rises up on its erect yeah. set legs, which is nice. Yeah, <laughs> but they're perfectly they're perfectly nice toys who want to help, and they're sure. they're good at reattaching parts because you know it's and the, it's the guy who's like basically a, a steamroller with a head attached and an yeah. arm yeah, has like a sense that. of humor where he pokes is the Woody. duck, I think the that's duck my head? favorite bit in that no no this is this, this is just the uh, it's like a ken head perched atop just a rolling rolling pin type thing and he he rolls he's the last one to roll out from under the bed and he's got a little hand attached to him mm. and he looks up at Woody and he pokes him in the side <laughs> and and that's the last straw that's what makes Woody shoot up onto the bed again but it's it's a great little gag and Makes me laugh. Apparently, originally in in the screenplay, um, this they're saved by an intervention from Barbies from the sisters' room. But famously, the uh, Mattel Corporation said, "You will not use Barbie in your little computer movie." They changed. Although their they mind. do mention Mattel at one point in the script. Yep. 
Yeah, but they, they don't use any of the licensing, right? The licensed characters, and, or, or at least Barbie wasn't able to be licensed. And of yeah. course, yes, they, they do changed back that away later. from it a little bit too by saying it's not actually Mattel, but a subsidiary <laughs> right. that was purchased from Japan or something. Yeah, but instead, we, you know, we get these we get these misfit toys, which which I really like. This is where they say and they they put together their their uh, their heist, and this is where we get Wind the Frog. An excellent I can't, I can't believe that's a thing. I, I had never <laughs> noticed it before. I love and this that. time I wrote it down. It's in my notes. Every time you people have been saying "wind the frog," I can only think of like a, 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 a Jim Morrison Doors line: "Wind the frog." <laughs> I'm the frog is cold. I just like the idea that there is a clockwork, uh, a clockwork uh, setup of of a series of events that need to happen, and the key moment that will start off this entire. A uh, very serious plot to escape is Wind the Frog. Start with Wind the Frog. <laughs> we go from there. I keep thinking of Bella Lugosi and Ed Wood going, pull, <laughs> pull the string. string. Pull the string. <laughs> and the frog, the frog toy actually, like, I don't think, the frog toy has no lines. And I don't know if the frog toy even changes expression, but it has, like, a little personality as, like, a little toy. Like, you, you can see it's yeah. ready yes. to go. And it, and it zips out there. It makes this little loop turn to go mm-hmm. down the stairs <laughs> instead of just turning down the stairs. Like, Well, and the frog is the mm-hmm. bravest toy in the whole escape plan because he actually just shoots out underneath the dog without any kind of concern for his own safety. Everybody else goes through the duct work or out the window or something. Right. Or and look how they treat him. The dog is good. Wind the frog. I have a name, you know. It's Roger. <laughs> I'm winding the frog. He's up to my ankles. There's a frog who needs to be wound. There's a, you know, there's several scenes that fly by pretty quick that involve these, you know, some of my favorite things as like a nerd sitting in and, and watching it after multiple reviewings are, are, are these kind of Rube Goldberg things. Like the, obviously mm-hmm. the whole thing of getting out of Sid's house, but also, you know, just the whole thing of like having the, the army guys with their legs, you know. Oh, I love that. Having to get have, and that like you know and just even like the fact that the, the like the Fisher Price you know baby monitor the cord that's wound up really looks like a cord and mm-hmm. it moves the way they go down. But then you know the other one that is really subtle but very important to the plot is the entire sequence that we talked about, where it looks like Woody was trying to get push Buzz out the window. He's really trying to push him kind of behind the desk. But that whole sequence uh, of the Indiana Jones thing of the globe rolling toward him, and he he slips on a crayon, he rolls over. And then the the way that the lamp, the canonical lamp, ends up mm-hmm. swinging around, I, I, it's so brilliantly done. And it goes by, the whole thing goes by in a few seconds. But you have to imagine the incredible amount of work that went into making that look good. I meant to mention earlier, and I didn't get to, the the army men scene where they're, where they're reconnoitering to see what the present's going to be, and it turns out to be Buzz, oh, that is, so is shot it is it is so well done. It, it it is so well paced. It is definitely one of those very early scenes in the movie where they're saying, you know, they're putting it on the table here, like, look, they're, they're just showing off. This I is mean, we are we're gonna if we want to do an army movie thing with army men, we're we can do it. We're look. gonna get Arlie Army, but also yeah. the fact that like the one that I I notice every time and it always gets me is like the dented baseboards, like how how the doors have been kicked. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Just those those little things, and then uh, I, I just that just totally works for me. Yep. Uh, so do we need to talk a little more about the, what happens outside with the, with Sid? Cause this is, this is that moment where I, every uh-huh. time I watch it, I think you're kind of breaking the rules here, right? Uh-huh. It's also super creepy. It's like suddenly it becomes so a horror creepy. movie where it's like, we have to, honey, we have to take Sid to the psychologist because he's saying the toys are talking to him. I mean, they move. But the, like mo- the reanimated, when the reanimated, like the army man with the, like with the, the nail through, through his, his head. head. Yeah. yeah it comes oh, out. Yeah. It's like, that's super disturbing. But then, but then they fix it later by having him fall over repeatedly because he has no arms. So right. that 
Kind of fixes it a little bit. But Buzz and Woody leave that yard at the end, and they leave like, oh, everything is solved at Sid's house. I guess from now on, the toys will have the upper hand on him because he will be fear he will fear, fear for them, his life yeah. because he thinks they're all going to kill him. Like, <laughs> no, he's just going to redouble like, his efforts now. Like, those toys Maybe. don't come with him. It's not like, hey, toys, you can come and move in with Andy, too. I'm sure he'd love a doll head erector set spider. <laughs> well, it's too it's too late at that point because they, oh, they're, they're in the boxes. But, but um, yeah, I, I wonder about... Like the way it escalates too, where where first off it's Woody talking through his voice box from the string, and you're like, whoa, they're breaking the rules, but at least you know he's still limp and everything, and then he just <laughs> starts moving, and I appreciate that that's horrifying to the kid, and he's like, ah, but uh, and then all the toys are moving, but it, it so also feels like nice. It, it, it also feels um like they're they're cheating a little well, bit. There's right. a, there's something in the uh, I think I saw this in the Wikipedia article about how there are I think like six teams somebody check me on this but the, the every scene had to go through something like six teams where there's the you know there's the storyboarding you got to write it uh, you know finally it goes through obviously the animation and the shadows and the textures and all of that stuff like for this one I have to say it, it, the implementation was extremely well done like I thought it looked really good I just thought the story part of that was super weird and and yeah. really out of out of keeping with the rest of the movie and so maybe, yeah, maybe not out of the, maybe not out of this movie, but well, no, in they've, already, they've already set the horror movie stage in, in Sid's room. I yeah. think it just follows on from that. I mean, it, it works yeah. okay for me anyway. Yeah. In that well, see, they couldn't have him just escape though. Cause like I said, they, they want you that once you've established that these toys are here and that they're really good toys, they're just in a bad situation. You can't just rescue Buzz and Woody and have them run away because then you'd be thinking, well, I guess Sid just goes back to torturing his toys. Like, so you have to get right. some kind of resolution. And what right. and what is ever going right. to stop Sid from torturing his toys? Short of short of killing the kid, which <laughs> right. this is a pretty good uh, trade off, I think. Or having all the toys escape. So what I think what I think is interesting about about uh, after the resolution with Sid being totally freaked out is. I, I was struck that this sort of feels like it should be the end of the movie. And this is the point where the movie says, uh, 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 that truck mm-hmm. already left. You have, you, we are now going to pile on a, a, another like huge action chase scene. To, which, which I think totally to works. This. Yeah. I think, I think the second ending is better than the first. If it had yeah. ended after the rescue from Sid, no good. You need something more uplifting than it, that. It's a funny, it's a funny moment though, where you feel like they could end here, but right. they, the, instead, because, they go, because nope, now our, our nope. heroes, our heroes are out of danger. You need, no, it's not, it's not just, it's not just getting out of, out of danger. You have to cement them together as a new unit. Right. And, and you have to allow the other toys to redeem themselves for the way they turned on Woody to say, all right, we, in the end, you're welcome back. Yeah, if it had ended there, you, you might assume that they, you know, they rejoin the toys at some point and are immediately, or Woody is still ostracized and mm. immediately kicked out of the back of the truck right. while Buzz is the new leader. And, uh, I mean, you have to get the toys back to the kid who lost his toys in the end. Right. Like, basically, like the kids are going to empathize with the kid who's like, "Mom, I can't find them." Well, I'm sure we'll find them when we move. But he's despondent, as opposed to throwing a tantrum, which might be slightly more realistic that they, that, that he can't <laughs> find the toys and they're moving to the house and he gets them back in a way that is totally believable in the human world because it's like. Oh, you found them? Where were they? Because the parents don't care where the kids' toys are. Like, it's the other thing that's a little bit out. If It's obvious that the mom does not understand, like, the, the, the provenance of Woody Toy, which is revealed in the, in the subsequent movie. Like, it's not like a family heirloom. She's not annoyed that he lost it. Whatever. They'll turn up, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I found them. Oh, really? Where were they? They were in the car. See? Told you you'd find them. Whatever. Like, that That all reads well. But we're happy for the kid to get his toys back, and we're happy for the toys to be reunited with the kid. I, I hadn't seen the film in a few years, and I had actually forgotten the gag where they 
triumphantly light the match to set off the rocket, and then a car immediately drives by. And I know, blows it I've out. forgotten mm-hmm. that too. If it you... was so <laughs> wonderfully timed that I actually yeah. I did a literal spit take, and I had to pause for several <laughs> minutes whilst I blotted the comforter with paper towels. <laughs> It is so well done, and it, it it just blew me away that I had had completely completely slipped my mind that that was in the movie. But I laughed and laughed. Yeah, instead you get the call back to the magnifying glass uh, from from Sid, which is which right. is pretty industrious on Woody's part. Yeah, I had forgotten if you had asked me to summarize this movie in detail, I would have said, "Well, then Woody takes the match out and lights the firecracker," uh, having completely forgotten that that's not what happens. <laughs> And then only after it's lit realizes that <laughs> that fire yes. has exploded. It's such a heaping helping of pathos at that moment, oh, though, because it's so triumphant and the music right. is swelling, and then and the match is out, and there's a there's a beat there while you just kind of go oh, and then we get wait we're tied <laughs> to a rocket. Rockets explode. I want to die with you today, Buzz. Although I was troubled by the fact that the um, Woody seems to chuck uh, RC's remote control away, like into the street what he doesn't uh the rc doesn't need the remote control all right because i thought well, rc own. doesn't like, he, he, andy does but, and so but now, that's that now is he's RC now a useless toy you know how many remote control toys i have with no remote control in this mm. house <laughs> it's still a viable <laughs> toy believe me no and we get the falling with style callback which um which according to a, a story i read actually wasn't in the script and then they were watching playback of one of these scenes very late in the process and somebody said shouldn't he say i'm falling with style here and they're like Okay, get Tim Allen on the phone. We're going to need him to record that dialogue. <laughs> wow. And and it was not apparently a planned callback. It seemed like such a setup. I know, I know. But the story I read said that that, that was unintentional. <laughs> and then they were like, yeah, really, pretty much need we need to do that here. Why would we not do that here? <laughs> One potential knock on Sid here, that kid uses some seriously weak duct tape. Either that or Buzz's wings are incredibly unsafe for children. Yeah, because he just he just flipped him right flipped him right open. He slices there. right through the duct tape. He's, uh, he's also remarkably aerodynamic with those little tiny wings wow. to actually soar mm. like that. But you know, he's that good. Think of it more in terms of the uh, of the uh, Boba Fett action figure with the actual firing uh, rocket pack. Mm-hmm. The, uh, imagine that he that Buzz is the pre recall version of that toy where these uh, the springs were way way, <laughs> way too strong. Way too strong. The, the <laughs> were way way too sharp. Fair enough. I I do love the uh, the cutbacks to the back of the truck where there is the uh, the unified front against Woody is starting to fall apart. And uh, Potato Head gets blasted by them as they as they rocket onto the uh, onto the truck. Um, that's that's it's funny to revisit those characters and be reintroduced to them and see them realize that Woody and Buzz are together and they're working on this and and it's all it's all gonna gonna be okay in the end. And it's a fun it's just a fun action sequence the whole thing because there's so oh, many yeah. different twists and turns and it's not just we got to catch up with those guys because then the battery dies so then they gotta you know the whole yeah it, it's a whole great sequence. Although I am left wondering uh, if Slinky Dog is ever going to be the same again, because he may I've not stretched be. out a Slinky before. <laughs> it's it's very they're working very hard to get him back together at the end because yeah. he's been stretched. But out. But thank God it doesn't get uh, knotted up. I, I I have to admit that concerns me every time I watch this movie too. I th- I think because realistically Slinkies do like that's the end of every metal it's metal fatigue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how every metal Slinky dies, and you're like, or it gets oh, a knot. The end it. for Slinky Dog. Maybe that's okay because we again. Perhaps it is a Slinky Dog of which there were like millions, thousands and thousands made. So maybe Slinky Dog gets all tangled up, unbeknownst to the rest of the toys. Mom buys him a new one. 
and oh. people and because and because they don't really uh, identify this slinky dog as an individual but simply as his product name this new one is just as good as the old one to the to these people you think she tells the kid a story oh slinky dog uh, ran away we well, you know just slinky, like Daddy. Slinky dog is now living on a farm upstate <laughs> where he can yoing and boing and go upstairs alone and in pairs because that's where a lot of slinky dogs go to go to live so speaking of dogs, at the end of the Everyone movie, loves a slinky we, dog. we have our final, uh, we're in the new house and it's Christmas and they're opening the presents and we've got the, uh, the army, still man, not there. army man recon is still happening and they, they all have a good laugh because they're now all firmly tied back together as, as Andy's toys. And what could, and then Buzz is a little worried about a new toy because he hasn't been through this before and, and don't worry, Buzz, what could be worse than you? And that's when we get the last line. Oh, a puppy. Mm. And that's how it ends. And that's, that's, they, they have that line during a slow zoom out on the snowy house. Like and the then it goes snaps out, back goes, in. The camera goes back through the window, shows the exterior of the house, and then it goes all the way back into the house. Yep. They can Boing. Do that. The subtext of this, by the way, is that now all of the toys will be ignored and forgotten. Yes. In well, favor of the puppy. Now they're threatened by the dog chewing them, essentially. It's well, because we saw what happened to that one alien at Sid's house. Plus, they're threatened by obsolescence, which will be revisited in in future films, right? I mean, that, that I was going to say this earlier about the about the uh, the aliens, that you could argue that the, the aliens are not just an analog for kids and trying to make sense of a, an insensible world with uh, their parents telling them what to do. But you could also say that it's uh, it's it's people in general trying to make sense of the world and and, and I, I think that worldview is is uh, borne out by future films in this franchise that get a little dark. Get a little dark. I like that there's a really conspicuous Western pillow on a Space Ranger comforter. So we're we're yeah. really clear that this That's is right. a fully integrated happy family. That's now. right. Well, but I like the fact mm. that the, the Space Ranger comforter is still the dominant visual theme. Yes, like that's the, true. The, and there is, in fact, has, a Space Ranger know, pillow underneath the Western pillow. Right. So and and then everyone's okay with that. It's not like he goes back to Woody. He doesn't. He's moved on to his next thing that he's well, into. Well, kids, like kids are a summation of all of these things, right? And things drop away, but you also kind of have this buildup of things. So, like, his toy box is still a Western, it's a Woody-themed, basically, toy box. And that's that's still there. But then you add in the stuff, and you end up with this big melange of different things. And that's, yeah, that's what kids right. are like. It's, I mean, it's it's sort of like a mashup of everything that you own. Suddenly, they're all part of the same story. Right. Right, when you're a kid, that's true. Yeah. Then you get into, I don't know, baseball cards or something. And I, I wanted to mention that, too, actually, because um, other than at the arcade, there are no video games in this world mm. and i thought that and i know that that i think changes in the future movies but um that struck me because i had that question of like what are the video games are they just games or are they alive are they like wreck it ralph what's going on what well, what are the what, that's when they say like oh don't worry it's a board game well why aren't the board games alive what yeah. about the little people in the board games? exactly the iron and monopoly little yeah, all those iron. tiny little pegs running around oh, from the yeah. life set yeah do the cars in from the game of life drive around well, they don't have movable wheels so it seems unlikely the, the battleships weren't alive the checkers weren't alive all the monopoly figures are like han solo in carbonite <laughs> And the Iron is still the most pathetic character in the entire menagerie. Yes. <laughs> you think he's worse off Shut than Shut up, Thimble? Iron. Top Hat is talking. <laughs> I yield the floor to race car. Thank you, Top Hat. You could, you could just do a whole micro toy story with just the Monopoly tokens. But this is the, this is my question is I mean and, and they just don't cover it but I that, I did notice the absence of of video game anything from this movie like we we're, we're not going to touch that that's that's crazy. Um, plus it's, it, it, the people making this movie were not necessarily people who were, uh, 
uh, a, a kids when video games were as big a thing as they were. Well, the, the TVs are giant bubble, bubble CRTs too. The entire premise of this movie is. As a kid, you always imagine what do, what do my toys do when I'm not playing with them. I don't think anybody ever thought. Well, I wonder what my Zenith Zenith tele, 19 inch television set <laughs> and my 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 PlayStation are doing when I'm not uh, not. not I not wonder that all them. the time. But well, Wreck-It Ralph I, answered that for me, so now I got it. The turning on and downloading system updates. Yes. in the case of the PlayStation, mm-hmm. I wouldn't always. be surprised if if there were a conscious uh, thought to say, you know. We're not going to do that because we want to encourage people to play and to use their imaginations instead of sitting there going pew, 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 pew. Yeah, I mean, it really what it comes down to is that no one goes to sleep at night with their Atari 2600 snuggled up next to them. Mm. Like, but the, the, the toys become... Au contraire, my friend. <laughs> they fall asleep spread-eagled on top of it because they've been playing too late on a school night. <laughs> my son goes to sleep surrounded by Minecraft memorabilia, John. <laughs> Well, it was it was 1995. We're talking about the 16-bit era here, yeah. right? So That's they're not true. quite as ubiquitous as the Xbox kids of today. But you don't per, you don't personify them. There's no there's no physical thing for you to snuggle. You do not personify them and 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 do like you may you may get Minecraft toys and play with those toys, but then the toys oh, are the, the things toys. you're playing with, not the actual video right. game itself. Right. All right. Well, I guess we're at the point where I should ask everybody the big question, was which is what do we think? Uh, looking back and rewatching this, where does this where does this movie fall in terms of quality of uh, of uh, Pixar movies and movies in general? Any thoughts, Steve? Sure. Uh, this is not my favorite Pixar movie. I think I mentioned that in the Pixar podcast. Um, I think it's a, a really good film, and I respect the heck out of it as a milestone. But I, d- I don't really think Pixar came into their own until they figured out how to make audiences cry. <laughs> And, it's a Toy Story and, too. Well, and when they got Randy Newman out of the way, and he wasn't <laughs> shouting during the big emotional peak of the film. Um, yeah, no, it's they always say that it's harder to make audiences laugh than cry in films, but I think with animation, that's actually flipped a little bit. And the animator mm. has so many more tools at his disposable for making to his disposal rather for making comedy. But the unrealism of it all, I think, makes drama harder to pull mm. off. And I think when they actually managed that in. Toy Story 2 is what, the third third film? Third film, yeah. I think that's really when they 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 hit their stride. Um, Toy Story 3, on the other hand, might actually be a little too maudlin, but we can talk about that when we get there. Mm. So, yeah, great film. Uh, you know, I think it's superb for the time. It's amazing what they pulled off as sort of a what should have really been more of a proof of concept. But uh, as I rated in the Pixar canon, I, I think it's maybe in my top five, but it'd be pretty low in that. Anybody else? Well, we talked about in the Creativity Inc. episode about how uh, Ed Catmull's like, lifelong dream was to make a feature-length computer-animated movie. And uh, I I always wanted such a thing to exist. From the moment I knew the computer graphics were a thing that was possible, to seeing these terrible little demos on PBS showing a bunch of wireframes on a fuzzy <laughs> CRT, said, you know, that the idea that... If we just keep improving this, we can make images that are, you know, indistinguishable from reality, believable, and that you can make an entire movie like with no actual people and no cameras entirely in the computer. And Toy Story for me will always be tied to that. Independent of the movie itself, it really helps that it was a good movie and not a terrible stinker. But just the audacity and the technical achievement, it's kind of like... Uh, you know, the, the original Macintosh or like one of those things where if you look back at it as a product, it had problems and it was tentative and weird and awkward in ways that the future iterations would not be. But it just stands alone as this thing that like maybe if you were not into it, you know, most of the audience just saw it as a movie. But 
if if you had been waiting all your you know your short whatever however old I was at this point you know uh, life to, to say someone I think this can be done and someone could do it and like to to have it be out there and other people accept it as you know and don't laugh it off and don't ignore it it's just like yes they did it they you know I I can't you know that that will always be the place Toy Story has uh, in my mind when I rank it with the rest of the Pixar movies it's not even my favorite Toy Story movie let alone my favorite Pixar movie but every time I come back to it. I'm surprised, like, when I don't watch it for a long time, it fades in my estimation. I'm like, oh, you know, it was the first one, whatever, probably wasn't that good. But every time I watch it again, I'm like, you know what? This movie is not bad. They did some really good things. It's much better than I thought it was. Uh, It is awkward in ways that are totally excusable, like the original Macintosh, for it being the first one. Uh, And I know everything that follows from it, so it sort of kind of has a place in my heart there as, like, the original. I, I agree with you completely. It's it's sort of like when I every, every now and then, uh, maybe once a year, once every year and a half, I'll wind up uh, watching uh, Martin Scorsese's Mean Streets again because it's not a great movie. But the reason why I still find it so enjoyable is that you can really see him finally figure out, okay, this wasn't the movie that I've always wanted to make, but now I totally understand what our purpose is as a filmmaker. Uh, And I think Toy Story is exactly the same thing. It's a very, it's a really wonderful movie in and of itself. The characters work really, really well. There's so many nice movies and nice moments in it, but pretty much you're looking at the, a, a filmmaker making their first real movie and realizing that I have a unique voice and I have a purpose for my storytelling that I'm going to prosecute much, much better in my subsequent movies than this one. But this was a very valuable movie for me to make. I'm right with you guys in that it's it's not even my favorite Toy Story movie either. But it's, you know, it's always had a soft spot for me because it was one of the earliest dates I went on with my wife, my now wife. Um, and so, you know, I remember where I was at the time. And I don't I don't often remember that with movies. And I remember what my life was like in the the month that I was that I first saw Toy Story. And when she was accepting and, of your dull museum flashbacks, you knew <laughs> this was a match made in heaven. When I sat there looking at the doll head erector set spider going, oh, yeah, and she didn't run away, you know. Um, I, I think Merlin just passed out. No, I'm here. Um, no, I, okay, the the okay, doll thing okay. is, is tough. That's it's trigger for me, still, David. Still terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's what trigger I'm Trigger warning. Passed out. Um, May contain dolls. <laughs> And and I will say, I mean, the Doll Museum is part of why I've, I do feel a strong connection to the Toy Story movies, because I did that. I, I did, you know, make stories with these dolls and action figures and all these things, which you can read about in the magazine. And, um, you know, that's it, why Toy Story 3 really hits me by the end. Um, so, yeah, I, I I love it. And even though it is, you know, again, it's it's the first one. And it's just good. It's fine. It, you know, you can overlook whatever little flaws it might have because it, 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 if it weren't for that, we wouldn't have all these other wonderful movies. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I have very little to add. That's, that's how I feel too. Um, it's, it's almost like there's certain kinds of things that are difficult to look at critically. And I think this one ticks two of those boxes, which is on the one hand, it is really awfully good, but it is also, in retrospect, like pretty primitive in some ways compared to what we have now. So it's difficult to look at it. It's difficult to look at it with a clear eye and be able to, you know, try and like bring those two things together in a way that makes sense. So, I mean, like when you see something like what, like a, that 
Trip to the Moon movie, you know, where you first see people trying to do these crazy stuff with what you can really do with cinema beyond like filming people on a stage. You can do these crazy cuts and these crazy effects. And we watch it now, and it's, it seems real wackadoodle. But uh, so it's it's hard for me to separate in some ways. But like, I don't know if you guys have seen a 2012 movie called Food Fight. <laughs> I, I have, house. yeah. <laughs> well, I was introduced to this by yes, the Flophouse. Um, oh, Merlin, but... don't see the movies that are in the Flophouse. Don't. <laughs> That's, I have don't. to tell you. No, in my, in my, you kind of have to. In my massive resist. inhalation of of the Flophouse, the only movie that I was moved to go out and find and actually look at was Why? Food Fight. Why? <laughs> well, the Oogie oh, Loves it's, it's was the like one a... that I was moved to see, but I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh. You got to be a Cloris Don't. Leachman completist, or you're not a Cloris Leachman completist. <laughs> that's all there is to it. But I mean, you know, that's that's a that's a big fish in a big barrel. But it's but you know, it's it's amazing to look at something like that with that technology uh, and realize that, like, gosh, there's just so much more to this than what we just see on the screen. There's there's so much to like. You know, if you become a little bit of a Pixar nerd and you start digging in and looking at stuff like the animatics and how, how these things evolve over time, it's it's difficult to criticize. I, I, I criticize in the true sense of the word. It's difficult to have enough distance from that to say something sensible, uh, you know, about like kind of what it means in the creative canon because it is kind of primitive and it is kind of creepy. And there's a bunch of stuff that I bet they look at in the same way that somebody would look at like their work on Star Wars and go, God, I wish I could do that differently. And, and, uh, but at the Only same they time, they haven't had the compunction to go back and quote <laughs> fix it, right? Which right. they could totally do, or quote unquote lose the original copy, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But 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 in this instance, like the, the amazing part is, it really really does still stand up. I mean, there's this part of me that thinks that you know toys are going to be around for a really long time, and and kids and parents and their funny relationships will be around for a long time, and you'll be able to look at this movie for twenty, fifty, a hundred years and still look at it and go like, not only is that an amazing technical achievement for the time but that's still a funny bit you know that's still you know that still works and personally like i'm a huge fan of toy story 3 i think toy story 2 in some ways was really the apotheosis of this of this series um but like even even just looking back at that like i find it if I sit there and know I have to talk on a podcast about it, I'll sit there and look at things like what the wood texture on the banister looked like in perspective as he's flying down. But like, you don't really watch it that way. You watch it as this wonderful thrill ride um, that completely works on a lot of levels. So you know, it's 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 hard to have distance from it, but like, I I, I think it's just still absolutely terrific. If you just looked at it as an as an exercise in just in computer graphics, it would it's it's hair curling what they were able to pull off. And uh, yeah, I think I think it still it still works today, and and it's it's difficult to uh, do anything but praise it for me. You mentioned uh, a trip to the moon. The movie that I would compare this to, if you use regular cinema, is more like Citizen Kane because there had been trips to the moon before. There had been Pixar's own shorts. There's been the commercials. There's been lots of computer graphics. But Citizen Kane sort of defining the modern vocabulary of of movie making. Toy Story, in so many ways, defined. What a 3D animated kids movie! Like, yeah, all, but all, all n- the not not just taking not just taking sh- choppy story and like un- unusual uh, depth of perception, but being able to put that all together in a way where you go, "Wow, that 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 actually really worked." And not have every shot be like flying through Aladdin's cave or the ballroom scene. Not have every shot be, "Oh, we can spin the camera anywhere." Like, shoot it like a movie, right? Uh, but with with uh, 3D stuff in the scene. It is hard to separate the two the two aspects of this film because it is groundbreaking in 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 fundamental ways technically, but 
uh, I, and I was going to mention the same thing, which is now looking back at a, uh, a history of, of 19 years of computer animated films, imagine if the first computer animated film had been, you know, Merlin said food fight or just take uh, some of the lesser DreamWorks or something like Shark it, Tale. It, it would have been a technical <laughs> achievement. But it would not have had the other the artistic scores like for the Olympic the Olympics judges would have not given it high artistic scores just the technical scores and and I would argue that if you took this screenplay today and made it you wouldn't need to change a word and it would still no. be a great movie with yeah. modern animation and 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 I think that uh, you know 19 years later it works it yeah the technical stuff was really early and now we look back on it and go well you know 19 years later we could do a better job at the time it was an incredible milestone but the creative aspects of it it's solid it's a it's and we're I think this whole genre is so fortunate that a good movie came out of this first movie or who knows what would have happened but even if you're a, a giant if even if you're a giant nerd or a giant pixar especially if you're a giant pixar nerd there's a pretty simple thing you can do to realize what a leap this is um there is i think two collections of pixar shorts that you can buy on itunes that we watch constantly um and you know it's all the you know the second the most of the first and part of the second volume are all of the shorts that they made mm-hmm. as kind of the you know short features that run before it's all the things like oh god that amazing uh you know the toy story one where they're in the fast food place like just there but but the thing is if you want to really appreciate this leap if you want to see like on your own kind of personal graph what this movie meant go and buy the pixar shorts volume one and see what they were able to do in the amount of time that like it took you to go to to college the the leap that they made in, in like really just a handful of years to go from something like the incredible creepiness of the baby's diaper in Tin Toy to be able to like <laughs> make us notice the texture like on the stitching of Woody's hat. They did that in like a, just a handful of years. So like I'm, what I'm saying is even if you are like a hyper nerd looking at this in terms of the technology, you can appreciate that like they they did that. I mean, it's like the whole like, you know, Ginger Rogers says, you know, I did it all but backwards in, uh, and in high heels. Like when you watch like an hour and a half long movie that pulled all that stuff off, I think it's you appreciate it even more. And I get the feeling watching this movie, aside from the techno parts, the same kind of feeling I get watching like the original Star Wars. There's something or even like using Apple products or whatever, there's something Pixar-y about this. And what's pixar about is not so much the 3D, but it's just kind of like that it seems that it seems sharp and fast and trusting of the audience to get these jokes and like that will never that will never fade like just like in Star Wars the things that are charming about Star Wars are right there in the first movie even though the effects aren't that great and there's some clunky things here and there right it feels like Star Wars to you this movie feels still feels like Pixar to me because what do you expect from a Pixar movie i expect you know great characters i expect the movie to be smart i expect it to trust the audience is going to follow along. I expect it to not mind if the audience doesn't get everything. I, you know, I, I expect it not to be like long and boring or like uh, a movie just for kids. I expect it to be just as much for adults or if anything seems like it's a movie mostly for adults. Like all those things that we come to uh, associate with Pixar are present in this movie. And that, that stands out to me. Like when I watch it again, like it feels like you're like, oh yeah, it was pretty good. But really in the grand scheme of things, oh, it's pretty good for a Pixar movie. And in the in all movies, all all animated movies or any other movies, it's like, wow, this has that extra special Pixar something, which automatically puts it way up above like things like Shrek and stuff. Like I would I would rather watch Toy Story 1 over again than any of the Shrek movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and if you think about all the great dancers and all the great comedians and all the great 
people who were making movies at the same time as Fred and Ginger. But we remember Fred and Ginger because there was something about the alchemy of it. It wasn't it wasn't that oh, it was shot any better. It was, you know, what they did was special. And it, it's the same thing with this. It's not the technology that we that we really talk about or really think about anymore. It's that it is a great story. And it is. I mean, you I mean, you fell in love with these characters right off the bat, Um Especially with, you know, you are a toy, and immediately you empathize with both sides of that conversation. All right, well, I think we've reached the end of talking Aww. about Pixar. Oh, uh, you know, I, I guess I liked it too, is what I'm saying. It's one of my favorites, and it still holds up, but it's, yeah. And it's, I it's like fun. it too. And I like it too. Uh, so I'd like to thank my guests for joining me to talk about this excellent and first animated movie we didn't even talk about that it's responsible for all those terrible movies that were to come but you know they did their part it's not their fault uh so david lore thanks for being here thank you for having me andy and pleasure as always it's been a slice john syracusa thank you for being here to infinity and beyond and beyond that's a great joke it's gotten overstated but it's 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 a great joke mm. steve lutz thank you Jason, the word I'm searching for, I can't say because there's preschool toys present. <laughs> <laughs> and Merlin Man, thank you. Thank you. And to everybody out there, thanks for listening to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We'll see you next time. Yeah, well, good riddance, you loony. <laughs> you are a sad, strange little man. <laughs> Farewell. <laughs>